Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio masterclass on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. Oh, that's new. All right. All right, cool. Um, so, Coach, how did coaching find you? Uh, coaching found me, I guess it just kind of growing when I started playing my youth league football coach, um, Darrell Newsom back in Lancaster, California. And I knew from like, then you have the impact of wanting to play, but then having a relationship with someone that kind of builds going into now your young adulthood. Um, and then once I got into football, obviously it's play as long as possible, but then the, uh, the impact that he had on me as a juvenile growing up and then my college coach Shreve Shaw at the University of Utah as well those two guys kind of put it into my eyes and said like you can really make an impact on someone um multiple people obviously as you get into it and you go about it the right way I think that's kind of how it happened and then to be honest how I got into coaching I, I wasn't even looking for it um and John McLaughlin called me when they first got to Columbia University seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. I'll never forget the day. And I woke up and he just, he, he got the job at Columbia and he coached a guy who was a GA at Utah while I played there. And so he played for coach Mack and coach bags at UPenn. So they hired him on the staff and he brought my name up just because of how the coaching staff at Utah talked about me. So I, I got lucky. <laughs> that, but that's interesting though. Like a lot of the coaching, moves happen really serendipitously like you just never know where somebody's going to end up going for sure for sure works in crazy ways the whole coaching profession yeah now how did you so you were at utah and now you're at monmouth can you fill in the gaps between the two where were you yeah. between the two yeah so i uh i originally uh signed to university of hawaii out of high school um and ended up going there for two years and then ended up transferring to back home to the University of Utah um, and finished my last two years out there. And then I played a little bit overseas uh, in Sweden. And then I came back and I uh, was working a sales job at ADP. And then I coached one uh, season of high school football in Utah. And then that's when I got the call. So it really happened fast. I graduated, went overseas, played a season and a half and came back to the States, was here for six months, and then got the call to go interview at Columbia. Gotcha. And we just had, I just interviewed one of the um, the guys who helps run the Swedish American Football League. Yeah. Um, can, can, and I think a, a lot of uh, college guys don't understand the opportunities that there are to play post-college in Europe. Like, it's interesting. Maybe that the American football is not as at, it's not at quite a, as high a level over there as it is here, but the way that their club league is set up, you could basically play, you know, almost as long as you want. Um, what was your experience like playing in Sweden? Yeah, everything you said is true. Um, my experience over there, it was amazing. And had I not gotten the opportunity to go interview at Columbia and get granted that opportunity to start this career that I'm looking forward to really diving into 
um, I probably would have gone back. I actually signed a contract to go back to Germany for the next season. And then I got the job at Columbia. So it's kind of, it, it was amazing. The organizations, like you said, you have guys over there uh, that they truly play for the love of the game, the cliche, like they really play because some of them don't get paid. And the ones that do get paid, you're not making a living off of it. You're not getting rich, but they provide all of the necessities that you need to, to be there. Uh, and to live healthy, to live safe and do everything that you want to do and get to travel, which is an amazing thing to do on the side once everything kind of slowed down. Um, yeah, I, I encourage, it was hard for me to say it to the guys at Columbia because they're coming out there with amazing job opportunities, but uh, guys that I mentor at other schools and high school kids, and then now even my guys here, I tell them, if you don't know what you want to do once you graduate and you don't have a job lined up, you don't have an opportunity to go up north to Canada or make play in the NFL and you want to continue to play, make a little bit of money, get to travel the world, do things that you probably never would have done through football. Go to Europe and, and have that experience, whether it be for one year, two year, three years, however long you want it to go for, um, which is amazing. We just had one of my uh, defensive backs here that graduated in 2017. Um, he just got done playing overseas in Germany. So that was that was something that was cool to be able to talk to him about. Yeah, and the German Football League is actually probably one of the strongest, I think the strongest um, American football leagues in Europe. Um, there's a couple guys, well, at least in the New England prep schools, there's been, I forget what they're called. Um, I always forget the name, but there, there's a, a growing pipeline of, you know, European high school kids that are coming over to, to prep schools and, yep. and playing and, you know, they've getting offers and it, it's cool. I mean, good athletes are good athletes. And, um, and I think if you don't know what you want to do, traveling is definitely going to help you find it. And I'm sure that's one of the, the first things that is asked about on your resume, like, whoa, like you were in Sweden, like what, what happened there? Yeah, that, yeah, that's a, that's always a cool thing to tell on that one too, because they say, oh, I didn't even, a lot of people say, oh, I didn't even know that football was even big over there. Well, to Americans, it's probably, it's not big compared to what we have here, just like soccer here in the U.S. isn't really big to Europeans really. So, um, going over there and getting to be able to talk about my experiences on that and meeting people that kind of make you step back outside of, Oh, like the game and for money and for fame and for power, you really get to meet genuine people who are out there coming straight from a job that they have and providing for their family to come play football. And some of, like I said, not getting paid for it. They're literally playing for the love of the game. They're 30 years old. Right. So it's, it was pretty cool. And you don't necessarily even have to play football. When I had um, Coach Nielsen was his last name. Uh, when I had him on, I one of the questions was, "What's the biggest problem that American football leagues face in Scandinavia and Europe, and at least in Sweden?" He said, "You know, we we can find players generally, but our really our bigger problem is we just don't have enough coaches. You know, it's, it's not like soccer or uh, hockey over there where you could have a parent help out and they know the game like." parents want to help out but they don't even know the rules so there there are opportunities for american football players from college to go overseas and not even play but you could coach too or you know help them run their camps in the summertime they're always looking they'll help you as much as they can with housing and whatnot but that's also you don't have to even necessarily want to play to, to still travel and be a part of football 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think I was lucky enough to be a part of a club that is one of the powerhouses in all of Europe. They're one of the top divisions. They're one of the top ball clubs. Um, so their foundation was really good. So I was lucky to have that. But yeah, they, they, we have guys come over that don't have uh, enough coaches. So some of the players have to help out and coach a position or something. But I, yeah, I was lucky enough to have some pretty good coaches and, and actually met one of my really good friends, uh, Matt Atkins, who's actually a tight ends coach at San Jose State right now. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator at Southern Oregon and, and won championships. And he came over and ended up being our OC. And his dad, Doug, was the head coach. And the next year, Matt took over and became the head coach. So it was, it was a pretty cool transition. And what were and we'll we'll get off Sweden in a second, but since we're here, what were there like two or three differences you found between Swedish culture and, and American culture that you noticed when you were there? The health, um, I mean, even aside just from free healthcare, I know that's a like a topic people can go many roads down, but I think the health is there. You, I, my first, literally my first day there, um, I was out just walking and I see. I, I I'm just gonna say 80, but she's fully gray, old, little, fragile woman, and her husband riding a bike. And like here in America, I'm like, yeah, you you're rarely gonna ever see that. Um, I think the the foods as well, not a lot of sugar in the stuff that they have, whether it's drinks or whatever it may be. Um, and then I just think just the culture there, the willingness to uh, like the nice demeanor that people really the friendly. Uh, hand that they kind of help you with yeah that's interesting yeah and, and i think people forget that like swedes are really tall you know, yeah. like, i would walk around in the airport once and i'm like i'm like looking up at everybody i'm like 5 10 i'm not that tall but you really notice it when you're at one of the airports over there yeah <laughs> <laughs> um all right cool so so now we'll, we'll kind of go over to uh you know the, the football side of things and where you currently as monmouth and yeah, could you just kind of give us a quick summary of how your your spring football season went? You guys did quite well. Yeah, um, we ended. I mean, we didn't play a lot of games. We played three, uh, four games, including the playoff game. Um, probably about half of our conference opted out because some of them played in the fall. Uh, but yeah, we went three and zero in conference. Ended up winning the pseudo Big South championship for the second year in a row. Um, and ended up going to the playoffs again for the third time out of the last four years, which is which has been pretty good. And each time we've ended up playing the team that's going to the national championship, either won or lost. You know, the year before was James Madison, and then this year was Sam Houston State. So we we did a really good job in terms of building this program with Coach Callahan and what he's done here. Um, and, and making the standard that we're not just trying to get to the playoffs. Our, our goal is to win a national championship. It went from winning conference championships in the NEC to going to the Big South and winning conference championships to just making the playoffs. And now we're here and we're seeing we can go head to head with some of these teams, but we know the next step that we have to take to get to be one of those top tier teams. And our team has just bought in fully. And I think we did a really good job holding. We had a chance to win the game against Sam Houston State with like 34 seconds left and we're on like the eight-yard line or something like that. And, and it just doesn't go our way. So we're, we're that close to going on again and beating Sam Houston State, who ended up winning the national championship. 
Sure. And, and you guys are a newer program as well. It's not like you have these, you know, 120 year history, like a lot of the, the older FCS programs, but I think there's a misconception. And this will bring us to our next topic uh, that, you know, there's almost like this FBS, like D1 power five or bust mentality um, in recruiting, but you know, there's some really good football in FCS. And I, I mean, there's nothing more exciting than, you know, the FCS uh, championship tournament, there's playoffs. It's basically like, like the whole basketball thing, except for football. Um, What do you think is the most common misconception you have to dispel for recruits and families that you help through the recruiting process? The thing that I say to every recruit, whether I'm on the phone with them or I'm in the house with them in front of their parents on a Zoom call and our head coach is sitting next to me, it doesn't matter who's around me. I'm just going to be genuine and honest. And I just tell them, I say, bigger isn't always better. And you have to be honest with yourself in where you can fit. Because, yeah, you may get an offer to an FBS, BCS, Power 5, Group of 5 school. But are you going to go there to, let's just say you redshirt your first year, then you may get on a couple special teams the next year, then you stay on special teams, maybe get in a package or two, and then by your senior year, maybe you're playing, maybe you're not, maybe you're still in the same role. Some guys never even reach that way. So, yes, you may have that talent to be able to hold up, but they're recruiting the same level, if not better than you, which is at every school. But I think you have to be realistic with yourself to say, all right, am I going to go just to be on a team and bet on myself to go and get it? Because there's guys that have done that. Or am I going to bet on myself, go somewhere and give myself the best opportunity to do what I want to do and reach my goals, which is I want to be able to play early and have an impact. I want to be able to have an opportunity to make plays and have the film and the opportunity to get looked at by NFL or CFL teams. Um, I think that, that that's one of the big things that I tell them and they look at me like, uh, but it's true. Like you see, and nowadays, I mean, you see all the guys that are transferring now, like a lot of guys don't have playing film or they don't have playing opportunities or stats. Some of the guys have a lot of stats and then they get beat out. Um, but that, I mean, that goes into a whole different conversation, but bigger isn't always better. And I just say, be honest with yourself as you look at these places that you're going to, you know, we have kids that are going to, um, going to a Nebraska camp, but you have only D three offers. Like, like that's not a realistic thing for yourself, nor is it financially beneficial for you either. So that's my biggest thing that I really tell parents and the student athletes now. Yeah, it's it's almost like they're, and I find I run into this problem a lot. It's it's really hard to separate your your self worth as a player versus who you are as a person. And, that, and I think people do this in general, right? Like we, people love their jobs, and like you want to be a good coach. And if you have a good day, you're a good coach. And if you have a bad day, you're a bad coach. And now you feel like you're a bad person. Um, but I think that there's almost an unwillingness to be really honest with recruits. Um, what's, your, what's kind of your, this is, and this is a recurring theme with a lot of coaches I've talked to, what is your philosophy of being blunt and honest and upfront with your players and, and how do you divide, how do you make sure that your players understand that what you think of them as a person is not what you think of them as a player, or I guess, yeah, do, do, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. I mean, 
what you just said is being blunt. Like that, your question is, what do you think about being blunt and honest? I, if you ask any player that has ever come in contact with me, whether it's my position or not, um, they're going to tell you that I'm honest and you're going to get exactly what I think. Now it's my opinion. I'm entitled to that. And I'm going to tell you what I see from outside looking in. It may not be what you want to hear, but you have to be able to be mature enough to take those conversations and comprehend it and look inward and say, okay, let me step back for a second. I, I understand where you're coming from. Like, how do I change that? How can you help me change that? Or what can I do? I think that that's what, that's what it is. Um, everyone, every player, I believe if you ask anyone that I've ever coached or come across or come in contact with is that they're going to tell you, hey, coach Lou, he's honest. Like he's real. He's going to tell you it. I mean, might not be the best thing that you want to hear. Like, hey, Lewis, you're the best defensive back we have. Well, if I'm the best coach, why am I not playing? <laughs> why do I not get the amount of reps that I feel like I should be getting? Oh, oh, well, then them. no. Lewis, you need to work on this. This guy fits our system better. And if you can do this better, this will give you an opportunity to go compete for that spot. And I think like the track record, and I think that that's the biggest thing that I've really push to is just to be honest and straightforward with the guys so they aren't getting run around the bush and then they have a false narrative on something and, and a perspective that isn't true because it, it doesn't help them and it doesn't help me when they try to come back to me to have that conversation or with someone else mm. and and when those bad conversations or not bad but when those tough conversations happen it seems like there is even there's a higher risk today of a young recruit who gets recruited and they think everything's awesome and they go, oh, I'm going D1, I'm at Monmouth, FCS, and then they don't get the playing time they think they're going to get, and then boom, without much thought, they just enter the transfer portal. Um, and we, I we did a podcast with uh, Coach Beam from last chance you, the season before the current one, but he basically said something to the effect of, he's like, look, like when you got a brand new baby and that, that baby's crying at night, like you can't enter the, you can't enter the transfer portal out of that one, yeah. you know, like, and it's almost like there's this like transfer portal culture where like, as soon as there's like a little bit of adversity or I sense coach doesn't like me, I'm out. And now we've got like 5,000 people in the transfer portal. So what, what's your, what's your take on all of that and the current state of like all this transferring that's been happening? Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I was going to be honest. I'm, I was yeah. thinking, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to tightrope this one. But I, I think that the NCAA and the transfer portal has given these kids uh, a cheap way out. And some, I mean, it may be a good thing. You're one and done. You can't transfer again. That's something good that they did with the whole thing. But you, you now take away from what sports is all about is developing these guys and helping these guys fight through adversity, right? And you're trying to help these kids uh, get that competition, but now they're running away from it because they got beat out by someone else or they didn't get the playing time that they got. Um, it, it, like, it's a dangerous thing while it blesses a lot of people and a lot of programs. And like always, some people are always going to benefit from it. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I want to see the stat that comes out that from all of those 5,500 student athletes in the transfer portal for football, how many of them actually landed somewhere else 
one. And then two, if they're a scholarship athlete, they're giving up a full education that's paid for, for free. You're going to graduate debt free and you're going to give that up to go somewhere else. That isn't guaranteed that you're going to get the same opportunity benefiting you financially, depending on where you come from. Some people don't really care about that. But to me, that's a big thing is I would have to guarantee that there's a, there's something for me on the other end. Now, you can't guarantee that until you're in the portal and you're able to talk to other schools. Now, obviously, I'm sure there's some people going back door, but I, I just think it, I just think they take away what sports is all built off of the transfer portal and this thing because you're you're letting them hide from competition and, and run from adversity. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, there, there's such a fine line, right? And I think there's a misconception that once you get an offer, like you're good, like you made it. It's like no, they, like this is where it actually gets hard. This is where the real work happens. Um, and I think even if you end up at your dream school, like you go to a Notre Dame or whatever or USC even if everything works out and it's all roses full ride you're at least going to have three to five of those freshman uh-oh moments where you're like in your dorm by yourself doing your laundry for the first time saying like what the heck did I just get myself into um did did you have one of those moments when you went out to Hawaii or Utah where you're like what the heck am I doing and then could you talk us through how you kind of got over that initial hump of getting used to a new setting and then what's your advice for freshmen who are struggling now and are contemplating or other players that are like eh, on the fence and they've knocked around the idea of a transfer portal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting here saying that I transferred. Um, but I mean, this, <laughs> my story is a, is a little bit different and that's a, it's a whole nother thing. It wasn't, yeah, it's a whole different ball game, but I never, I honestly never had a moment like that. Um, I went to Hawaii uh, that summer in what 2008 it would have been 2008 and got there and they had just come off of going to the sh- uh, going undefeated going to the Sugar Bowl obviously didn't go how they wanted um, but then you're in Hawaii and I met some of the best people from that island that were either from the island or from somewhere else that I'm still friends with very close today and the experience of being there, I had never been to Hawaii before in my life. So that was awesome. I was just, everything was all good for me. And then my circumstances changed. Um, and I ended up going back to the school who was originally the first school that had ever offered me. Um, and then the recruiting got kind of messed up with a coaching change that happened and that offer wasn't there. So that's why I ended up at Hawaii. Um, and then back at Utah, there was, I mean, I'm, I'm where I really wanted to be from the beginning. They were just going into the transformation from the Mountain West to the Pac-12, which is was another amazing transformation. And and they're a winning program. Like Coach Witt had that, he has that program rolling. I mean, obviously it came over from Urban Meyer to then him. And so I, I, I never had a, oh shoot, I'm lonely. I'm homesick to when I went to college. I enjoy both places very much. Gotcha. And do you mind just going, would you mind going, obviously to the extent you're comfortable, like what, ha- what circumstances changed where you, you had to make that move? Yeah. Um, and this is another reason why I am, I, this is just why I am who I am in the recruiting process and being straightforward and honest and not BSing guys and stringing guys along because I went through this is 
So Utah was the first school to ever offer me out of high school. They offered me my sophomore year of high school. And I had no idea, and I had no help either. I had no idea what uh, committing was. I had no idea of an official visit. I had no idea of signing a letter of intent, the timeline. So I'm like, yo, I got the offer to the school that I want to go to. And a whole bunch of schools started coming in. I'm telling them, no, I'm going to Utah. I'm going to Utah. I was at, I kid you not, every home game and every practice that I could make it to from my sophomore year all the way through, uh, well, really till the middle of my senior year. Um, I ended up breaking my leg my junior year. So recruiting slowed down, but Utah was still there. Hey, yeah, we love you. I'm there. I'm hanging out with the players on the team. And I'm like, this is where I'm going. So I get to my senior year of high school and I call to ask, hey, like, what do I have to do to sign up for summer school to come in early to get a head start? And uh, Gary Anderson had just left. And so now another, another they promoted Morgan Scally to defensive coordinator. Um, and now I'm like, he wanted to go with the junior college kid. And now they, because they said I waited so long that I waited myself out of an opportunity. I'm like, this couldn't have been a phone call that you could have given me and say, Hey, Lewis, are you still interested? Uh, would you still want to come to Utah? Like that never happened. That line of communication was not there. And that ended up having me now go from I know where I'm going to not having an offer or any place to go to college three weeks from signing day and Hawaii ends up calling me um and hey Lewis this is Greg McMack and the head coach we want to fly you out for an official visit before he could finish this I, yes coach I'll come for the visit <laughs> so me and my mom <laughs> we get over, on, yeah. <laughs> all over we get on the flight we go out there and we do the whole thing sit in his office before it's time to go. He said, hey, these are the paper signing days coming up. And I was like, can I sign him? He said, you got to wait until signing day and get him in. So, like, that's how I ended up there. And then things went circling around again and connections happened again. And then I ended up right back where I wanted to be. So, um, yeah, that that's why I am who I am in the recruiting process to all the prospects and their family. I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you um exactly where we stand with you I just I don't think that that's the thing nowadays is a lot of these guys think that they have the opportunities that they post on Twitter and all this stuff but yet when it comes down to it hey can I commit to your school are there ah oh, well wait we got to go through this you got to wait till this date no like that I, I think that that is yeah it's a negative way of going about the situation sure and, and unfortunately you you almost need to be like a, a paralegal, your own paralegal as a family to like, you know, check, double check, triple check the wording of things, call the compliance guy, make sure what they're saying is it matching up to what the coach is saying? Because, you know, coach, you guys are so busy and it, it might not be anybody's fault, but like something falls through the crack or you thought you were good on your transcript on your end, but your guidance counselor, who's got 300 other kids forgot to tell you that you didn't take the math course you needed to get eligible. Yep. Um, I guess for, um, and for coaches, I mean, you guys are juggling so much. Um, what, what do you think are some mistakes that young coaches make when they're trying to establish who they are and their culture, whether it's as a position coach or as a head coach? Um, and then what advice would you have for young coaches listening? 
I am a young coach, Brandon. <laughs> I am a young coach, man. Um, yeah, 20 with you, baby. Yeah. I am. Uh, I think, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be around some good people, right, who have been in coaching for a while. Some that have been coaching just a little bit longer than I have. Some that have been in the NFL. And then I've been around them being able to pick brand. I think the biggest thing that young coaches do when they come in is not be authentic. That's the first thing that my mentor told me. He said, just be you. Like, and if you're not you, like, you're not going to know what to do on a day-to-day basis or how to handle certain situations when they come up. You're going to be different to this kid on this day, this kid on that day. And things are never going to align to what you want it to be. And that goes back to me, just what you said earlier was, I'm just going to be honest and I'm going to be pure and I'm going to be me. I am the energetic, the hype juice guy. And I befriend everybody. I talk to every position group on the team. I know every kid on the team. I've had a conversation with every kid on the team at Columbia and here at Monmouth. And like, that's just who I am. And I think that's the thing that guys don't, they either try to come in and they, I've seen it actually come in and try to be the hard try to be the guy that just digs in you when like, well, that's really one, it's not you, but two, it's not your position to do that. Um, and then the se- what was the second part of your question is what, what would I tell them? Yeah. I would just tell them just be authentic and be yourself. Right. So I think the question was answered just by my two things is come in being authentic and being yourself, don't try to overdo or emulate someone else's style if it doesn't fit you and it doesn't feel comfortable. And then I would tell the, the younger guys coming in is just to be yourself and be authentic because that's the, that's the best way that you're going to get to know, one, who you are, what your uh, strengths and what your weaknesses are, what are your limitations, um, how do you learn. I think a lot of things like that end up coming up without authenticity. Sure. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like you said, like somebody, a coach tries to come in and be like Bill Belichick from day one. Well, Bill Belichick can do what Bill Belichick does because he has like a thousand Super Bowl rings, but, yeah. but you're not Bill Belichick. So, and kids are going to see right through that. Yep. Um, you're, your first day as a coach, you're almost like uh, like the substitute teacher or the first year teacher in the classroom that the kids all mess with. <laughs> it's <a> tough job. <laughs> it's tough. tough yeah, I've been job. a first year teacher, but um, you know, like, Mental health is obviously a, a thing. It, um, I think it was, it's never not been a thing, but now finally, whether it's sports or schools, more people are comfortable talking about it in the open. And football obviously has this macho stereotype, bury your feelings and, you know, muscle through it. And the older school generation is like, oh, we're too mushy with our feelings. And the new school generation is like, you know, no, you, you can't just ignore everything. Um, obviously, Cole Brennan passed away a couple weeks ago. And, you know, obviously the, the details are up to the family to disclose, but, you know, still he's not the only college football player that has, you know, passed away under those types of circumstances, certainly in the past couple of years. Um, what's, how do you guys, I guess, what's your take on or your philosophy of looking out for the mental health of your players? Yeah. I mean, I, I tweet about it pretty often. I'm a big supporter of, of any kind of whatever may be mental health or whatever other avenues that come from that it's a big umbrella that holds a lot of things um I am I am the opened hand open shoulder open ear if you need someone to talk to you can come to I'll sit here for however long and you can just talk vent 
you can sit there and not say anything. If you just want to be in, in the presence of someone else to not be judged, I think that's the big thing. And just re reinsuring them that like, yo, this is real. This is you and only you know what you're going through. So how can I help you? Help me help you. How can I help you? What can I do? And if he says, I don't know. All right, well, hey, I'll be here for you. When you, when you need something, you have a second thought on something, call me, text me. I'll come. I'll, I've gone out of my house at 1130 at night to go meet a kid because he had a breakdown. Like I, I've dealt with some mental health stuff. And so everybody, it, it's not just, oh, he's crazy. It, it can be an emotional mental health. It can be tragedy in your family. It can be an ill. It can be a whole bunch of things. A self-confidence thing can become a mental uh, health issue. And so I think that that's just my thing and how I deal with it is I'm just open and I'm going to be a person boy and I'm going to be a person that's going to be here for you. And I'm going to reassure you not to be afraid to talk about an issue if it comes up. You're never going to start out comfortable talking about it. So it may not be right now, but in a week from now, you may come back to me and say, hey, coach, like, I really need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. But like, that's just how I approach it. I don't try to force it out of them. Yeah. And, and was there, I mean, for like, for me, when I was like, I was a, I was a punter and kicker in college and I would have like, I guess looking back, it would have been like anxiety, you know, like, mm-hmm. but like, I, I remember getting so like locked up inside my own head and so nervous I like couldn't even punt you know I was like a I was a practice punter I was so good on the sideline but then as soon as coach was watching me I just like imploded so I don't know if that's maybe like self-doubt or lack of confidence but I know that's that's a that's a recurring demon that occurs at least with a lot of uh specialists um was there something like obviously share the extent you're you're comfortable with but was there like uh, something similar to that that you like haven't or you experienced like with when you were playing or as a, like a young coach? Um, as a player, no, because I think mm-hmm. that, and this, that's what, this is what I tell my guys too, is that when I'm on the field, well, this is me as a player. And this, I tell them, I said, when I'm on the field, that is my time to let go of everything, have fun, be myself and go play football. Like I don't have to worry about anything else. And I can, that's my time. Just let every, oh, I felt this test, man. I got to go back and do this. Or I didn't, uh, I didn't get the job that I interviewed for, but I'm about to go to practice and I can only think about practice. So I was very good at compartmentalizing. I am on the football field. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to react. This is how I'm going to, that's my outlet. And, um, but anxiety, it, it's never fully going to go away. You have it no matter what. I just, I don't think, I think I did a great job for myself allowing football to be my outlet. And anytime I'm on the field, even now, like I think the anxiety is higher now as I'm a coach than it was when I was a player, because I am getting other people ready and I'm trying to prepare other people and to allow them to help them reach their best in themselves and to get the team to do the best and then to produce on game day and then to provide information on game day so my anxiety kind of creeps in that way but then I just kind of step back and say I'm not the one playing like if if I didn't do my job during the week to get those guys prepared and then to be able to make in-game adjustments and communicate properly then I shouldn't be here I'm doing a disservice to this program and to these young men and I think like that is, I think that's where I, I'm like, okay, who that's kind of like how I was as a player. I'm on the field. I'm letting it out. Well, now I'm here. It, it creeps up. 
But then I say, I got to realize, all right, like my job is already, it should have already been done. And now I have to make adjustments in game. So let's just go out and play and have fun. And then I try to get that to my guys to allow them to play loose and be able to be themselves as well. Mm. Yeah, there's, um, I think Tim Ferriss said it, he like has a podcast, but he said uh, it, it's a little bit easier to dance with your demons than try to banish them all the time. Oh, and I yeah. think, I think you have, you have you know, really good self-knowledge and self-awareness. And um, do, do you have any type of reflective practice that you have to like think through all your thoughts for the day or the week? So like, so for example, some guys journal, some guys pray, some do meditation, some just drink a cup of coffee by themselves in the morning inside their car before they go into work. But do you have some type of practice where you kind of take account of everything that's happened and reflect on what you're, what's going on? You know, all of the above it, actually what you just said um, is I have probably about 15 notebooks that I have a whole bunch of stuff written down, whether it be a short sentence, whether it be a paragraph, whether it be me recapping my day. If I really, if I have hard days, that's one of the longest. And it may be just be some, I jot something down, maybe a memory. Cause I, Oh, I was kind of feeling this way, but then I got the energy to do this. What happened? Journal it. I, I love being alone and by myself, which is kind of like a, a meditation period at some point throughout the day, whether it be early in the morning, getting here in the office and being the only one here, whether it be me staying late and being the only one here or at home at night where I just literally, I, I would just sit on the couch no TV, no music, or anything. and I'm just like in my head thinking. And some people say that could be a danger because now you're kind of you're stuck in your own head now. But I I just kind of reflect on stuff and kind of think about things, and then I chart out. All right, what are some things that I want to accomplish? And then that way my focus is on something. So when I accomplish that goal that I set out to do, however minute it is, is I feel some sense of pride in organization. And then that way I'm like, that just kind of keeps me where I am. And the music is a big thing as well for me. What kind of music you like? It, it honestly, it depends on my mood. The only type of music uh, I do not like is heavy metal screamo music. Any, anything <laughs> else. I, I like music, but I listen to, I, I'm, I'm not like a big rap guy. I listen to a lot of R and B. I like country. Um, I like, I like jazz. I like some jazz, but Gotcha. Alan Stone, Alan Stone, Pandora Radio is a good one. Alan Stone, gotcha. Yeah. So, so you do you get along with the strength coaches who are blasting screamo metal music during lifts, or? Uh, uh, yeah, we have one strength coach that does it. The other one does not. So he, the other one plays to what the guys like to listen to. So he knows that that's going to get them pumped when they come running through the doors. The energy's already there for warm up. They come into the weight room. They're already up. Now, in the days where our other strength coaches playing the heavy metal music our guys just buy into it because he's so bought into it. He's running around like a freak, shaking his head, jumping up everywhere. And it just bring energy at that point. You don't really know really what's playing. You're just going off of what the energy and the aura is in the room. And then you're like, you're going before you know, it, you're like, why are we listening to this? <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan. I gotcha. can, I can, I can uh, accept it all. I'm not going to go choose to listen to that though. I, I hear you. Strength coaches are, you know, it's funny, like outside of well, probably the coaching staff or the, the grad assistants or the younger guys, the strength coaches spend probably almost more time with, with players than the actual football coaches do sometimes. So that they're, they're definitely a, a different breed. I'd like to get more of them on here, but um, so I want to be respectful of your time. We're starting to wrap up a little bit. So we'll go to a little bit more of a lightning round. So 
Um, you're reflective, you're methodical. I got to ask, do you have any book recommendations? Uh, yeah, I got, um, all right. Uh, I haven't read this book in a while. Uh, it's called, uh, playing for pizza, playing for pizza. Yeah, it is. Um, John Grisham. And it's about an old quarterback who used to play for the Browns, um, uh, Dockery. And he ended up actually going over to Italy and playing what he played for the Browns. I guess he like threw three interceptions, like the last like 11 minutes, they ended up losing their chance to go to first time ever going to the playoffs for the Browns and no team would pick him up. His agent got him over to Europe to play in Italy. And then his agent got him a contract um, in the CFL, but he said no. So he stayed loyal to the Italy team, stayed there, ended up playing there and ended up winning a championship over there. But the loyalty that he had for that program, it kind of talks about what what we talked about earlier about you're you're not going to make a a living playing over there, but you learn so many lessons and you have a a better um, a better understanding and a deeper love for kind of what you're doing and better care about what you're doing. Another one would be uh, You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. I actually just read that one over quarantine. Yeah. And if you have a chance. Did you listen to the uh, the audible version of it? Yes, I think that's better because he's actually reading part of it to you. Yes, and you and he digs in deep to it. That like that book was really good. Um, uh, My fight, your fight by um, uh, Ronda Rousey is like just her life story book. That one's it's actually a pretty good book. I think those three books kind of teach you a lot of different lessons. I like reading books about people. I I don't really do the sci fi. Thing like that but yeah gotcha okay uh favorite quote favorite quote i have a lot of them um it's not really quoted to saying and i use it all the time it's actually written up on my board i put it in all my pamphlets respect the process relish the grind and just respect the process and that's in everything that you do in everyday life a lot of guys think it's just for football, but no, it's how do you wake up in the morning? How do you go to class? Do you handle business? How are you treating your family? How do you treat yourself? How do you treat others? Um, are you where you're supposed to be at on time when you need to be there? Are you doing the right thing? And then relishing the grind. I think that a lot of people don't like the word grind, but I just it's, it is what it is. It is a grind in whatever it may do. It's the hard work that you're putting in to uh, get the ultimate goal or the ultimate ending in whatever you're trying to do whether it be you in finance or you in car sales or us in football with all of the training and everything, because it can be taken away like COVID happened. I think that's the clearest picture that I give my guys is you got, if you didn't respect that process and you didn't relish the grind and the work that you guys put in this whole time and COVID just took away the whole fall 2020. So now, well, you're all here in tears. You're all, you guys are all down in the dumps because you don't have a season. You don't know what's going to happen enjoy the time that you have while you're in it in the moment because you don't know when it's going to be taken away so i think respect the process relish the grind uh my one of my favorite ones just go out of your way to make someone else smile today that's just kind of the person that i am you never know what that person is going through you may be the first person to say hello to them you making them smile may change the decision that they're thinking about making and that comes for me with my own mental situation and, and going through things um uh, yeah, I, I love you got a quotes. whole board back yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I love quotes. I love. We might need to do part two someday just to go over quotes. 
Definitely. I'll definitely come back on. And I'll hook you up with the strength coach that can come on here too. Oh yeah. That sounds dude. great. Uh, okay. Then the last question, you know, when you're a hundred years old and you're, you're telling mm. your grandkids one day about how awesome you were as a coach and all the different players you got to work with and where you went in Sweden and all this cool stuff. Um, what's the one thing you want your players to take away from their time with you? That I was genuine, that I was honest um, that I, I had the, I was high energetic and enthusiastic. Um, I did it the right way. I cared about them both on and off of the field. I think those, those are the things that I would want them to remember me because they can sit here and say, oh, he was a great coach. He taught me a lot about football. All right, but did I do anything for you outside of football? Because after your four years here with me, it's most likely going to end. So did I do anything to impact you to move on into your next life or prepare you to move on to your next life and to someday uh, help your family or for you to help someone else do something else? I think those are the things that I would want either anyone that I've worked with or any player that has, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to coach and help and mentor to uh, remember me by. Thanks for listening to the Coach Cahill Show. If you found today's show inspiring or helpful, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment.